Hi everyone, I'm Tara. Hi, I'm Michelle. Welcome back to our podcast Books and Beyond with Bound Season 4, where we speak to some of the finest writers in India to find out what makes them tick. Yes, Tara and I are editors, podcasters and storytellers. And through Bound, we help you create stories and put them out into the world. Yeah, so Tara, shoe ekbarek. <laughs> what? Between <laughs> what's the news? You know, like since we are trending in so many Middle Eastern countries, actually, like Qatar, Saudi, Egypt, as well as Bahrain, where I grew up, I became so nostalgic of Arabic. Oh my god! And you know, like I got so happy because the other day we got the best news. We're in the top one point five percent of all podcasts globally. I can't believe it. I'm so excited <laughs> yeah. about it. Yep. So Michelle. I'm really excited to announce this new offer that we have. It's a new year and it's a new offer. So you know, through our conversations with writers, we know how lonely and tough the journey of writing can be, and that's why we even started our mentorship program, where an experienced mentor will help you achieve your writing goals in one-on-one sessions with personalized curriculums. So we release limited slots every year because we really want to focus on quality. And this year, we decided let's give our podcast guests an exciting offer. So use the code BOUNDMENTY2022, all caps, and get a ten percent discount on our three-month mentorship program. The offer ends on March first, twenty twenty-two. So you're going to get lots of feedback, reading, and fun. So don't forget the discount code is BOUNDMENTY2022. Book your slots for this year now. The link is in the show notes. We look forward to working with you. It's amazing. Well, the latest trending news is that Kavita Rao, the author of Lady Doctors, spoke to us on this episode. Um, you know, it's so funny because I always recommend this book to my mentees for its structure. Um, writers always think that you know, in a non-fiction book, you have to sort of Pack, pack, pack it with you know all kind of information, and then you sound really, really smart. But that's not always true. You know, sometimes you can use less information to build more of a story. It depends what's the relevant information. But anyway, that's <laughs> enough of a yeah. little writing lecture. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, you know that made me think of fiction, Tara, because you know there's this misconception that you know the more extraordinary vocabulary you have, the better. But actually, the simplest lines can do the job. And you know, I actually picked a few lines from Kavita's book and put and stuck them on my bedroom wall. You know that um, incident about Rukma Bai? She delivers a calf. Uh, just to prove to the other women, you know, that she can deliver babies. Oh, I just love those lines. So motivational. Yeah, I know this book is so amazing. You know about this doctor Rukma Bai and the lives of all these amazing first women doctors in India. And this is at a time when these women fought against everything. They didn't even have role models. Now we have women role models everywhere, and it's so amazing. Just. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, and I think our conversation, you know, for me, it felt like we were right there in an in an operating theater. You know, like watching her perform a complicated surgery. I love your metaphors, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we learned so much about like her research process, and you know, such funny anecdotes. She she she's really a warm and funny person, and this episode is amazing. So come on, let's dive in. Hi Kavita. Hi Kavita. Welcome. 
Thank you so much for having me. Okay, I've been uh, fascinated by doctors, surgery, you know, especially because how they have made our lives much easier, right? Like I can't even imagine a world without doctors. So I'm really, really eager to speak to you today. It's so interesting because a big theme in the book is women have to pay a heavy price for accomplishing things. Uh, and I feel like that still prevails today. So I want to explore that and also, you know, a lot about your creative process, which is really fascinating. So let's dive in. Sure. <laughs> so we know that your book, Lady Doctors, was born after you noticed a Google doodle of the doctor, Rukmi Bai. And that pushed you to explore. Um, and you're also a journalist with no medical training. So, sure. wh- like, why, what about medicine fascinates you? If you hadn't come across this doodle, would you have still um, gone into this subject? Where did it all begin? It's not just medicine that fascinates me. It's more sort of women in science. And uh, I have mentioned this before, but uh, at the time I noticed the Rukmabai doodle, I was also reading this book called Inferior by Angela Saini, which I recommend to all your readers. And this book is about how women were systematically erased and kept out of science. Uh, I mean, the general sort of, you know, idea in India is that, you know, men have made all the scientific discoveries. And that's not really true. Okay, even across the world, there were many women who helped in, you know, making scientific discoveries which were simply sort of erased from a narrative. And one of them was like, you know, Rosalind Franklin, who discovered the, uh, you know, the DNA, who studied DNA. And it was Watson and Crick who got all the credit. And she was sort of, you know, just kept out of the picture. So when I read this book, I realized that there must be sort of, you know, many Indian women who haven't had their stories told. And then I looked up a bit about Rukmabai and then I realized that, you know, we don't know much about her uh, beyond the basic facts. And I realized that there were other women that we didn't know much about and who actually did study medicine and did help in many things, including the vaccination programs, public health programs, various other programs. So I felt that they should be written about. Uh, And regarding the lack of medical training, I've I've been a journalist for a while. I was a lawyer before that. I studied law. So I think I probably felt that I could take on the research. I mean, I wasn't 100% certain. I wasn't confident, but I thought I would give it a go. I was just taken back to the time where uh, women writers were anonymous, right? So I think we as women, we can relate. It doesn't matter which field you're in. We have been systematically being... Um, it is. And and it's very interesting how you mentioned, you know, from different parts of the world, uh, you know, people uh, have uh, probably inspired you, like all their stories have inspired you. But what I'm interested is in, you know, those who are closer home. And I noticed that you have dedicated the book to the lady doctors in your family. So I wanted to know more about these women in your family and the kind of influence they've had on you. Uh, let me just add that, you know, the book is not a very complicated one. I mean, When people say, oh, you wrote a book about doctors, but you're not a doctor yourself, because the book doesn't really go into medical science and the intricacies of it. It's a very, it's intended to be a very readable book, accessible to everybody. And I hope it is, you know, I wanted it to be a popular history, not an academic history. Anyway, doctors in my family, my father was a doctor. Uh, He was a pediatrician for many years in many countries, Uh, had quite an exciting life. Um, And he did a lot of pro bono work, uh, as well as some work to pay the bills both. Uh, And, you know, medicine is sort of the accepted, uh, respectable profession in my family. And even in my husband's family, there are a lot of doctors in my husband's family as well. 
So uh, I I just wanted to explore. It made me curious as to how people went from being called, how women went from being called whores. Like one of the lady doctors, Kadambini Ganguly, was called a whore for being a doctor. Like how they went from being whores to being, you know, highly respected and sought after, you know, in the matrimonial columns and everybody's like, wow, she's a doctor and, you know, so on and so forth. So I just wanted to see how we got from there to here. And it wasn't instantaneous. It wasn't overnight. So that was the idea behind the book. So I was especially curious about the women in your family. Uh, well, my aunt is a doctor. My sister-in-law is a doctor. My sister-in-law is a doctor in rural West Bengal. So in a very, very small town, she does mostly pro bono work. Um, you know, she's a dermatologist, but she does mostly pro bono work in rural West Bengal. and. I think she's possibly the first person in my husband's family to actually be educated beyond uh, 12th standard. Because my husband's family, they were, you know, he's a Bengali, he comes from rural West Bengal. The women aren't really educated beyond the 12th, but she has been. And, uh, you know, her daughter is also studying medicine. So there are all these sort of dynasties of women doctors. Okay, so yes, they were inspirational for me because uh, even today, uh, it's difficult for women to win the right to be educated. Uh, you know, even those women who have become doctors, they're often pushed into sort of easy specialities and not into the more, you know, male-dominated specialties such as cardiology or, you know, uh, oncology. They're just sort of pushed into these uh, lady-friendly kind of specialities. And uh, I remember that um, when I wrote this book, I mean, I have obviously am a very unurban person, but... Uh, a gentleman called Dr. Hansida Savendra Shekhar, who is a doctor and a writer, wrote to me from Jharkhand. And he said during the COVID pandemic, uh, we had some women doctors who were helping us, but most people flatly refused to be treated by them. Even during a pandemic, wow. when they're dying of COVID, they refused to be treated by women and they said, you have to get men. Yeah, this reminds me, you know, when we were discussing this episode, um, Eshwarya, whose podcast you listen to, told us, you know, that she, you know, family, family friends as well. Uh, there are doctors and they are, they are not allowed to do things beyond gynecology, you know. Yeah. And that's just like crazy to me that it happens yeah. today as well. Yeah, it's like a, like a safe zone. Yeah, women are sort of pushed towards delivering babies because that's all that they can do, you know. Uh, Kavita, what you also mentioned about, you know, the, the term, like how uh, women were called whores. I am especially interested in the word, how the word lady is attached to anything. So, you know, I've been called uh, a lady boss, like multiple times uh, by males. And, and, and I'd taken it as a compliment. And then it struck me, like, why am I called a lady boss? Yeah, a boss lady. <laughs> Which is absurd. Yeah, I mean, like I explained in this book, the term lady doctors first arose, I think, in about the 1870s. And the British Medical Journal used it for the early women doctors in the UK and they used it in a pejorative way. They call them these, you know, these lady doctors who are a traitress to their sex. And they, you know, they were they were considered as unfeminine and mannish and, you know, all those things that it is not okay for a woman to be. And there were cartoons drawn of them. So it, back then, you know, women were called lady doctors because it was sort of, you know, inconceivable that a woman could be a doctor. Most of the doctors were men. So, you know, doctors were, the, the word doctors was used to refer to men. And if there was the odd woman, then she would be termed as sort of, you know, lady doctor whom you go to for your, you know, your 
delivering your children and for your nervous sort of disorders. Yeah, and 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 now I want to get to you know some of these very colorful characters in the book because right. these characters really leaped out of the pages for me, and each one of them. You know, there there were so many similarities because they were all breaking boundaries, but they were so different as well. Um, and it actually reminded me of the show Outlander, because in that show, a woman sort of goes back in time from the 20th century to 1800s, and she's a doctor, and she tries to give sexual advice uh, to people, and it's miscon totally misconstrued as inappropriate and evil, and that was sort of happening in reality in your book. So could you tell our listeners one anecdote or one incident when one of your lady doctors from the book had to tackle superstition when they were doing their duty? So, you know, the best story of all is one that I couldn't devote too much time to, but it's that of uh, James Barry. And uh, James Barry was, uh, you know, a doctor in Edinburgh who was a bit of a, you know, he was a bit of a character. He was a, you know, a ladies' man, and he was a bit of a rogue and a blackguard. And you know, he got into a fight with even with Florence Nightingale. Uh, you know, he did all these things, and he had this sort of wild life in which he traveled the world. You know, in South Africa and various other countries, the colonies. And then suddenly, after all this, on his deathbed, uh, it was discovered that James Barry was in fact a woman, and possibly a woman. So, believe it or not, Kavita, actually, from all the doctors that you have covered, James Barry is the most memorable to me till now. Right. So, I, when it was discovered that James Barry was a woman, uh, people realized that he had pretended to be a man for over forty years, simply in order to enter the Edinburgh College of Medicine, which in those days did not allow women. So you know these are the lengths that women had to go to to be doctors, and he had to pretend for forty years. He even entered the army. I don't know how he managed that. And what about in India? Uh, in India, I think uh, you know I think Anandi Bai was quite amazing in the way she because she was the first to go overseas in the way she stood up before her community and asked for permission to go. Because at that time, you know, she was a Brahmin, and at that time, crossing the water was, uh, you know, quite a, you know, it was basically taboo, and she would lose her caste. So she stood up before the community and asked for permission, and went alone all the way to Pennsylvania when she was only eighteen years old. I mean, that's a amazing feat. But I guess. You know, across the book, the most amazing uh, person is probably Rukma Bai Raut because she was married at age nine, and uh, in a child marriage, she did not want to stay married. She divorced her husband. She went to court. She wrote a number of letters to the Times of India criticizing Hinduism and the uh, concept of child marriages. And then, you know, she had massive opposition from Bal Gangadhar Tilak and the Pune conservatives, who all. Stood up and criticized her and said that you know Hindu marriage is a sacrament. Once you are married as a Hindu, even if you are married as a child, you cannot leave the marriage. Uh, and she said, "No, I am going to." And she just divorced her husband, went to the UK, studied there, then came back to India, where she lived for nearly thirty years on her own and independent, practicing independently as a woman doctor. You know, Michelle, this reminds me of the book *The Queen's Last Salute* by Mopya Basu. That's historical fiction, right? And it covers the life of Jhansi ki Rani, and but it actually focuses on Chandraki, who is this ordinary woman who does extraordinary things. I really enjoyed reading it, and uh, to all the listeners, uh, you should read it too. 
So my question is, you know, why this book now, Kavita? You know, in 2021, we also read that it was quite difficult for you to do your research because of the pandemic, right? People yes. have wanted to stay away from anything to do with uh, medical narratives. Uh, I think that actually people want to know about medical narratives because we are confronting this huge medical challenge. And we want to know what people have done in the past. And many of the women doctors in my book particularly the later ones. For instance, Mary Poonan Lukos was very much in favor of compulsory vaccination and, you know, mass vaccination and, you know, things like that. Public health, improvement of public health. Uh, And even Muthulakshmi Reddy did many things for the improvement of women and for the improvement of public health, including setting up Adia Cancer Hospital. So I actually think this book is more relevant now because you want to know what people have done in the past, you know, to combat great, great challenges. You know, I mean, the pandemic is probably the greatest health challenge we've had in the last maybe since the Spanish flu. But before that, there were, you know, huge public health challenges, which these women fought against. Uh, So coming to the research in the pandemic, yes, it was extremely difficult because, you know, uh, about halfway through the research of this book, or maybe even earlier than halfway, all the pandemic hit and all the libraries shut down. So, you know, I... I was in India at that time. As it is, there's very little material in Indian libraries and then they were shut anyway. Then uh, I moved to the UK fairly recently and I was hoping to do the remaining of my research with the fantastic libraries here. But when I arrived here, even they were shut. So it was a big challenge and which I had sort of circumvented partly by doing some research online, partly by asking uh, friends in other parts of the world and Canada and the US where certain things were open to send me materials. And then partly by emailing various academics and saying, I can't get a copy of your book because libraries are closed. Can you just send me a copy of your book? Which uh, many of them did do. They just sent me a PDF copy of their book. So... It was was a big struggle, but, you know, I also, at one point I thought I will stop this book until the pandemic is done, but then I had no way of knowing when the pandemic was, would be done. So I just carried on. I also want to talk about primary sources. Uh, And, you know, in a book like this, can there be primary uh, resources? Did you speak to any women doctors today? Uh, and, And can you tell us an anecdote? It was very difficult for me to speak to primary sources because all the women are from the 1860s to the 1930s and therefore they are all dead. And, you know, their relatives, their surviving relatives hardly remember anything about them. Okay. Uh, First of all, the surviving relatives are very difficult to track down. And this is a problem in India because in the US, for instance, you can possibly track them down with a social security number. And, you know, everybody has some kind of record. In India, it's extremely difficult to track down people. In fact, uh, like, for instance, Kadubini Ganguly, I tried and tried to track down some relative of hers and I could not. And after this book was published, one has come forward. So I was like, oh, God, where were you when I was like, you know, writing this book? (laughs) But the thing is, a lot of these relatives, they don't remember much at all. So even if you do speak to them, the only thing they remember is, yes, my great, great, great grandmother was this person. And she was a very good doctor, which is of no use to write a book. So I realized quite early on that it would have to be an archival book, by which I mean that it would rely on letters 
it would rely on memoirs it would rely on even letters written by their husbands which shed some light on them because you can't always have a letter written by the lady doctor themselves and you know on things like that on memoirs written by other people who were working with them at the time so i mean india is not an archival nation that's another thing we do not have the habit of keeping archives of our history. yeah i mean when i read that in the book you know it just made me think millions of stories just getting lost for instance in the case of hemabati sen who is one of the doctors in rural west bengal she wrote an entire memoir herself so we have her voice untainted you know un you know completely intact but her memoir lay at the bottom of a trunk for over 80 to 100 years before it i think nearly 100 years before it was discovered by somebody and translated from bangla into english in that was in 2011 and she wrote it in the 1880s So all these years, it just sat there because nobody thought what she had to say was very important. See, that's the thing. Nobody thinks that what women have to say is very important. <laughs> I, 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 so, I do hope yeah. that that is changing, and and I, yeah. and actually, I think it will because of work like yours. And I also want to come to you know, since you mentioned it's an archival book, and you know, th- there was so much effort that you took to do your research and construct. the story because it it is a history book but also it's very rich in the way that it's written because i can i feel like i know each of these women so i was really interested to know you know uh, when there isn't enough research how do you know when research is enough to create a credible story how much research is enough for you to say you know what i can go ahead and write about this or this person it's a very good question and i think every writer has to sort of decide this for himself or herself uh, i am lucky in that i have a fantastic agent and i have a fantastic editor at westland deepthi talwar who gave me a lot of guidance on this you know i could have gone on looking for research and you know just going round in circles for another 3 years i could have you know just gathering tiny bits of information but at some point i decided to put a stop to it and i can't really tell you at what point that was exactly because oh, you know every person has to sort of every writer has to decide this for himself uh, or herself but uh, i did know that i did not want it to be the most comprehensive tome ever kind of thing okay for instance this book is about maybe 70000 words i did not want it to be double that length i wanted it to be extremely readable and not too long i mean first of all i decided the structure that you know each one of them each lady doctor would get one chapter and that i would try to kind of humanize them and therefore i would call you know each chapter the fighter or the law giver and kind of expand onto that theme it's not really a, a very cut and dried process as right. going it's talk. more intuitive yeah. yeah it's more intuitive yeah. it I, i did i mean i won't say that i was 100% confident i oh uh, until today i still get emails saying you have not covered this doctor you have not covered that doctor. oh my god and uh, <laughs> that is that is also true but then the thing is you can't cover every doctor and a lot of the doctors that people say i should have covered if i ask them do you have any material and they'll say no i only know this and when i looked for material i found about five lines so they can't have oh. a whole chapter <laughs> to themselves so yes No I think yeah that's very interesting because I think you know when people um um criticize our work or or I would say not even criticize or if they suggest that you know the author could have done better it's quite interesting that you say that they themselves have not found material so how would you have written it and actually we wanted to ask you you know like why did you select um these women out of all right for example anandibai she was the first woman uh, right. doctor in india 
how do right. you know um, to differentiate between fact from fiction? You know, because definitely something that has survived all these years, it's quite difficult to understand what's fact from fiction. So what was your process like? So fact and fiction, I don't think that was the problem. The problem um, was more sort of finding any material beyond the fact. For instance, there was a woman called Moti by Kapadia. But try as I might, I could find only three lines about her. I know she existed because it is in the records of the you know London School for Medicine. She came there after Rukma Bai. So we know she existed, but that's all we know about her. We literally know three lines about her. And then she returned to India. So, I mean, it's possible that she died and therefore we don't know much about her. So there is also that possibility. And then there is another woman called Anne Jagannathan who went to Madras Medical College and they have her on the rolls. But again, we have three lines about her. So I could not make a whole chapter about her. So what I decided when choosing these lady doctors was Anandibai has to be there because she was the first and also because she's a very interesting character. I mean, she's a, she's a sort of chameleon, you know, she's sort of treading that line. She's being a good Indian wife, but she's also going out there and kind of fulfilling her dreams. So she's doing both. And then Kadambini had to be there because she was the first to actually practice. Rukmabai, of course, had to be there because she had the hardest road. You know, she was the bravest. She was also from a lower caste and therefore, you know, carpenter caste and therefore she had you know, far more problems than the others. And then the rest of them, Hemabati, I chose, she's not well known at all. I chose simply because she had an intact memoir, which people could read and which gave us such a detailed account of her times and of her troubles, you know, studying medicine and working as a doctor in rural West Bengal. And then the other two, Muttalakshmi Reddy and uh, Mary Poonan Lukos, I decided on them because they were more than just doctors. You know, they were also legislators. They also played a huge part in public life and in, you know, enacting laws and legislations. It just makes me think, you know, that whole concept of tip of the iceberg um, and, you know, what you presented to us is so amazing. But I mean, the amount of work and the amount of things that are not in this book, uh, that is very, I would love to see your notes. And I also wanted to ask you, you know, because each of these characters, as I said, what I really liked is that their personalities sort of came out. It was almost like fiction, like like characters in fiction. So I want to know like how much leeway do you have and like how do you go about from fact creating these vivid personalities? I think I have most I think I have stuck to facts and not made up, but you're right that I wanted to make their personalities shine. I didn't want it to be, you know, one of those boring books where it was like, oh, Muthulakshmi Reddy was born in 1883 in Nadiar and then in 1886 she went to school and in 1889 she did this and that. You know, I didn't want it to be a list of dates like the history that we learned. And in this and in this, when I was writing this book, I read and before I was writing this book, I read so much historical nonfiction, you know, by people whose writing I admire, Manu Pillai, Ira Mukoti, uh, Anita Anand and, uh, you know, Shabani Basu, a lot of these people who make, who write very colorful history, even William Dalrymple. So, you know, all these people write very colorful history and they bring personalities alive. So. I tried very hard to bring personalities alive with whatever facts I had, uh, while also not extrapolating too much. You can't, you can't really extrapolate that, you know, they were this and they were that. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine, as you said, you know, the kind of extra, extrapolation that you had to do, because all the writers that you've mentioned who write popular history, you know, uh, Tara and I absolutely love their work for that reason, right? They make it right. um, accessible to all of us. 
you've also covered a lot of rich layers in the book apart from medical science which is caste right. class patriarchy yes. and so much more right and right. Uh, we read that you've had a sensitivity reader and that is something sensitivity reading is something we've heard a lot about especially in the recent years we've got a sure. lot of requests from writers so i wanted to know what was it like for you to work with the sensitivity reader and what changes did you have to make in the book okay so the sensitivity reader was in westland okay uh, a westland editor who has experience of this kind of box so i did make some changes but there were some changes that i did not want to make uh, the changes that i did not want to make was mostly because i thought it would make the book very academic sounding uh, you know basically you can hedge yourself against any sort of criticism by surrounding it with a lot of academic words which you know difficult for normal readers to understand and i particularly did not want it to be academic okay because you know i'm a lawyer by training and i spent 5 years reading these kind of books which are incomprehensible to anybody else so uh, i i just i did go with some of the changes that she suggested like you know there were some suggestions uh, about you know the descriptions of some of the women and all that kind of thing and in other places i said no so i think it's a process it's like all editing you know some things you will agree with and some things you won't agree with and everybody has a different point of view and all points of view are valid you know i maybe accepted yeah. 50% of the changes i think that would be fair to say wow wow that's very cool i also really like you know this this thing that you said in the epilogue where you said that it's interesting that most of these women were supported by men in in their family um and then you've also mentioned that you know some of them were abusive and that dichotomy was was very problematic and and interesting uh but i want to ask you you know you also said something in the book that you said that basically at that time you found that being a doctor was sort of a profession of choice for a lot of women which is that a lot of women wanted and aspired to become doctors over other professions but why was that what about that profession was appealing to women of that time versus other professions so one thing is that you know at the time these women became doctors both in the west and here a lot of uh, women would not go to doctors because they were you know they didn't want to go to male doctors so they just wouldn't go to doctors at all until the early women doctors came along and so there was that sort of you know a, a kind of uh, what do you call a loophole that women doctors could exploit because there were all these women and initially you know you're right it was mostly women who were delivering babies and therefore wanted medical help okay they would go to women doctors okay and because obviously they would feel much more comfortable with women doctors when giving birth than going to a male doctor so that was a sort of you know a loophole and uh, the second thing was that there were a lot of initiatives and as i say many of them were very colonialist and evangelist in their intention such as the lady dufferin fund uh, which tried to you know educate uh, you know try to bring more women doctors into india from overseas okay and um, also there were some sort of you know attempts to kind of educate indian women doctors to work in rural areas where the westerners would not go or where they could not communicate for instance such as hemabati you know she was trained as a vlms which is not really a proper doctor 
but is like you know more badly paid and more badly treated so and the only reason hemabati became one of those is because she wanted to feed her family and it seemed like this was a you know a sensible way to do it you've written three books so far your first book was non fiction your second book was a novel and your current book again is non fiction but it has elements of narration in it so i wanted to know how has the experience of writing each book been different from each other you know and and how has it helped you in writing this book the first book i wrote simply because i felt that you know i i was a freelance journalist at the time though i have sort of eased out of it now and i felt that i had a lot of information which could be you of use to people so i just wrote that it was quite an easy book to write probably the easiest the second book yes it was a novel and it was rejected by everybody by uh, every big publisher in india probably because it was neither very commercial nor was it very literary it was somewhere in between it was about a girl who falls in love with a library and you know all the things she does to keep working in that library so it's a bit of an esoteric subject and fiction in india is extremely difficult to sell and get published unless you are either very commercial say like you know uh, chetan bhagat amishtra party pritishan roy or you are very literary like say arundhati roy and amitabh ghosh and you know uh, things that get nominated for you know the booker or the jcb so anything in the middle is extremely difficult to sell uh, and you know when i wrote the librarian and up until recently i was mostly a fiction reader i i read a lot but i only read fiction and then somewhere around 3 or 4 years ago maybe maybe about 4 5 years ago i started reading a lot of non fiction and enjoying it and then i thought maybe i can write something in this space so i guess it's it's i mean the advice given to writers is that you stick to one genre that's always the advice given to writers but i've not done that unfortunately so or fortunately no, it's, it's so much fun to experiment that's something i've always wanted to do you know research something and write a non fiction book but i just don't know where to start so this is very inspirational but i want to say one thing the problem with writing non fiction is it is extremely expensive proposition this is why you don't see very lots of good indian non fiction it's why william dalrymple dominated the market in historical non fiction for ages because one libraries in india have practically nothing like so many of the, the source material for this i had to get from libraries overseas because libraries in india don't have muthulakshmi reddy's biography and libraries in canada carry muthulakshmi reddy's biography and they are very difficult to deal with like you know they will be very cranky and you have to file out 101 letters and you know permissions and this and that and then they will give it to you for 5 minutes and they won't let you take a xerox and they won't let you do this oh and they won't let you do that So they are very difficult to access and also yeah. very expensive like most of the archives in India are in New Delhi not everybody can afford to travel to New Delhi and spend you know 5 6 days or whatever it takes it could be longer in a hotel or something like that and i myself could not travel to New Delhi at all because of the pandemic so i just managed in other ways uh, that's one thing second thing it's mostly writing of privilege in a way uh because the fact is that you know here i have friends in canada i have friends in the uk i have friends in other countries my sister lives in the us so i asked her to do a bit of you know research for me 
my brother in law also lives in the us but other people will not have this so uh, you know trying to find you know obliging friends who will do research for you and send you research is incredibly difficult third thing is you know halfway through uh, the entire process of xeroxing and buying these very expensive books a lot of these books are very expensive uh, you know the books in the bibliography so uh, publishers will give you an advance but the advance may not be very large because advances in india aren't very large and it's set against your royalties so then again you have to think who pays for all these books that i am buying if i don't have access to a library and if i have to buy some books i mean you know how do how do i do that I, without being totally out of pocket so this is why non fiction i think is you know it's it's rare in india because it's just very very expensive and it's 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 kind of the you know the province of the privileged right no i i yeah i mean it it's this is a very realistic picture you know of of what it takes to write non fiction the monopoly yeah you're right about that and uh, it just got me thinking you know like like somebody like me who's always like wanted like how do you begin people do manage it like there's this book which which i loved called rivers remember i hardly think many people read it i don't think it was a big hit uh, rivers remember it's by this woman called kripa gay uh i'm not sure how she pronounces her second name is g e but maybe it's gay anyway that's a fantastic book and she has written it's about the floods of madras but also about the history of madras and i think she managed to do that cheaply like she managed to find all her material in madras where she was living in the libraries and through local sort of you know uh, anecdotes from local people and things like that but but uh, i also recall she filed a whole rti to get information about uh, flood wow, management yeah it's crazy so, but <laughs> i i think it can be done i think there are a lot of fascinating stories to be written about india and i honestly wish more people would write non fiction because having said all that non fiction is much easier to get published i realize that when you send a non fiction pitch right you don't have to send the whole book you can also yes. just send an outline and a structure correct. which i think is is a big blessing but in fiction you can't afford to do that you have to send the whole novel and there is a chance that it will never be picked you are absolutely right i want to move us to our reading section and i follow your tweets quite regularly and in the tweets you've said that you're obsessed with books about publishing So right. can you tell us why and can you give us three recommendations of books that you love? I've always been obsessed with publishing. I think if life had taken a different turn I would have liked to work in publishing but it didn't work out that way. I mean, I'm just very interested in the whole aspects of, you know, uh how you choose books and how you bring them to market and you know how you figure out a readership and things like that. So three favorite books about publishing. Uh I recently reread this one which is very good. Uh it's by Diana Athill. It's Tet. Uh and it's about how she uh worked in publishing in the early 1950s. She was one of the pioneers of, you know, British women in publishing. So Diana Athill's Tet and she talks about and she has uh she talks about Naipaul uh she talks about jean rees you know all the authors that she sort of you know groomed that's one uh second book i really liked was uh, that's non fiction the second book is also non fiction it's a book called another life by michael corda who was um the editor of simon and schuster in new york uh, again in the 1950s 1960s 1970s which were the glory days of publishing and he talks about all his famous you know authors and uh, you know how he you know found a great books and things like that it's very interesting 
the third book i think i would go with uh, it's a novel it's called uh, it's a it's by olivia goldsmith who also wrote the first wives club and it's just a bit of fluff i mean it's a bit of fun it's called the best seller but there are a lot of there's a lot of gossip in it about the publishing world and you know interesting stuff about publishing and things like that nice my bua actually gifted me stet and it's on my uh, tbr so i'm going to pick that up after yes. you mention it i also really <laughs> like this book um my salenjo yo have you heard yeah, of that yeah i love that book so my sanjay yeah. joanna rakoff that's a brilliant book yeah But that's that a brilliant so nice, book yeah. about publishing as well i agree yeah, that should probably in the number 3 yeah. <laughs> yeah. probably about 60% of my reading is thrillers maybe another 40% is a rest i think maybe 60 70% of my reading is thrillers uh books that people don't associate with me and this is not uh this is not like a kind of you know dig at these books it's just that i don't read them other people yeah. may well read them and may enjoy them is just that i don't read them uh i think romance i have not read romance since i was in my maybe teens or early 20s i just don't find romance very interesting at all uh, and that's not a dig at many amazing romance writers it's just that i don't read <laughs> prefer not to read romance uh, when i do read romance then there has to be something else also in it like i mean it's not really romance so instance one of the books i enjoyed recently was rodham which was about hillary clinton it's by curtis uh, certain film certain film that's all yeah. that's also on my list <laughs> yeah so that was very good but that's not strictly romance you know in that kind of way uh, i don't read science fiction uh, and again this is a personal thing i used to read a lot of science fiction in my teens and early 20s but what happened was that real life became as dystopic as you know the books so when real <laughs> yeah, life became yeah. all this this i mean <laughs> yeah. come on look at this pandemic thing so i just decided that i didn't want to read more about what's actually happening i feel bad for yeah. the dystopian fiction genre yeah. <laughs> no and and actually you know what what timing tara so it was uh, during the pandemic and i love reading medical thrillers okay so i'd picked up a book by uh, robin cook and it was actually about a pandemic and i just couldn't read further oh i said this is just this is just not happening <laughs> <laughs> you're very clear on what you like don't like what's your vision uh, of the book which is really fantastic i also wanted to ask uh, you know what are some books by extra uh, about extraordinary women that you recommend tara tara westover's book educated she yeah. uh, I, that was a fantastic book very hard to read by the way found it very hard to read but i read it before the pandemic in the pandemic i can't read such books anymore uh, she she basically had a mormon upbringing and was denied an education by her parents and denied even medical treatment by her parents and was brought up in the backwoods of uh, i think it was tennessee or some other uh, rural uh, american state so that was a fantastic book i mean like you just realize what different lives people and can uh, lead and she went on from that to an ivy league college i think harvard she went on from that uh, and i also enjoyed i also enjoyed shashi deshpande's book a lot she's written a book called listen to me and uh, she was one of the pioneers of writing in english though now she has sort of you know fallen out of fashion but this book i found very interesting in how you know early women writers in india you know in when she was in english i mean not in other languages were sort of you know treated and how they had to kind of you know make their way so i found that very interesting uh okay then i liked elizabeth gilbert's a signature of all things and that's a novel 
so it's not true to life exactly uh, it's it's about a 17th century woman biologist and how she kind of makes her way in the world of biology in the 17th century you know so that was fascinating uh, for me <laughs> no i think what you have mentioned itself is so really different uh, actually from what i usually read yeah i mean this year i have been reading a lot of this year i have been just been giving myself a break and reading a lot of psychological thrillers because i just can't deal with anything you know too heavy and uh too difficult right now yeah you're right and thrillers and and genre yeah. fiction definitely um they are easier and and they um i'll say at least take take the seriousness um out of the moment um yeah. so uh, kavita this brings us to our last most fun section of the podcast okay. which is called our rapid fire round so you okay. just have to answer in one one or two words Okay. Oh God. So, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. the, so the first one is um, you've given a title for each woman doctor in the book, right? Like the good wife, the rule breaker, the working mom, and so many yeah. more. So, if you had to pick one title for yourself, which one would it be, and why? Uh, the cynic, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, which do you prefer, writing or research? Mm, writing, definitely. Yeah. Anandibai Joshi or Mary Lukos. Anandi Bai, for certain. Yeah. History or fiction? These days, for me, history. Though I used to read a lot of fiction, but right now, history. <laughs> okay, top three psychological thrillers you would recommend? Uh, the Brimstone Wedding by Barbara Wine. Uh, then the Original Sin, P. D. James. Mm, the Frida Klein series by Nikki French. Oh, I've really been uh, meaning to get into this Nikki French. Uh, 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 what do you say, frenzy? Because I've heard so much about this um, writer couple's work. I really, really want to read it. So I think I'll begin. With yeah. That. Oh, I also. Thank oh, you. actually, I want to change that last answer. <laughs> I think I would say Into the Woods. I would say Into the Woods by Tana French, and then just read all of Tana French's work because I love her. So what's next for you Kavita what project are you working on I'm not really working on anything right now because I just want to basically you know sort of survive the pandemic I've got a lot of things going on in personal life which are like killing me so I think for the next one year I'm just going to take it easy I do have an idea for a non-fiction book but I'm not sure whether I want to write it because again it's a hell of a lot of work and it also involves a lot of travel which is obviously difficult to do right now so I think maybe I will just sort of you know I have opened a document and I'm putting bits of interesting research in there and let me see what that actually turns into I'm not sure yeah where do you write Oh uh so I live in a very very small London flat in fact for many of my podcasts which required video people were very frustrated they were like can't we go into your study and i was like i don't have a space <laughs> so i don't really have a room of my own like you know virginia wolf recommended one dream destination that you would love to travel to for research um i think for my next book I would like to travel to Berkeley, California. Mm, can't wait to find out what your next book is yeah. about. <laughs> so thank you so yeah. much for your insights, Kavita. I think this is like one of the most interesting episodes. Um, and I really, Michelle and I both really liked your book. So congratulations on that. And I hope many more books to come. Yes, thank, thank you, you so much. Kavita. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 
Tara, I loved how she stayed true to her vision of the book, right? Like nothing budged her. I think often writers are riddled with self-doubt so much so that you know even the slightest criticism can sway them. But she she stayed still as a rock. Yeah, I mean it's it's really hard not to get yourself done, and I think this book yeah. is a great precedent uh, about other books, you know, which will be written about women in medicine and women sort of in any field making their way. All you writers out there, we know how lonely and tough the journey of writing can be. That's why we offer our mentorship programs where a mentor, you know, helps you achieve your writing goals. And we have very limited slots this year. That's why we have an exciting offer. Use the discount code BOUNDMENTI2022 and get a 10% discount on our three-month mentorship program. Lots of feedback, reading and fun are in store. Don't forget the discount code. It is BOUNDMENTI2022. The link is in our show note. Um, But let's move on to our next episode. So we're going to experience one of the most fascinating cities for me. I've lived there. I have a complicated relationship with it. Uh, We're going to experience the good, bad and ugly parts of Delhi through Shivani Sibbal, whose book Equations offers a look into Delhi society. Little bit about it, two boys grow up in the same house belonging to different classes in society. They're friends when they're kids, not so much when they grow up. And we see how both of them deal with the changing fates. Yeah, and you know, Tara, I was recently re-watching Titanic, okay? And you know, one thing that stood out to me, and I think this even stayed with me when I was a kid and I saw it for the first time, that you know how the rich, you know, had the privilege to survive it all, right? They were at the topmost tier of the ship and and the poor people had to just deal with things as they are. And I I just, I don't know, I think I'm naturally drawn to stories that cover class. So I can't wait to speak to her. Yeah, I mean, it's such a problematic topic that one can't even sort of fathom wrapping your head around and she really puts a mirror and speaks about it yes so anyway i'm constantly on the lookout for stories about delhi because as you know i spend time there so if you have a good one reach out to us so as you know we are editors we are podcasters we are storytellers and through bound we help you create stories and put them out into the world yeah and we are at bound india on all social media platforms Thank you for tuning in to Books and Beyond with us. We'll be back next Wednesday with Shivani Sibbal. See ya!